Well, good morning. We have gathered here this morning to celebrate what is easily the greatest event in human history. That Jesus Christ went into the grave and did not stay in the grave, but rose from the grave. And as we gather here this morning, I just want to remind you of a reality. Here we are gathered in East Tennessee, but we are joining literally millions of brothers and sisters in Christ all over the globe this morning who are celebrating the same reality that Jesus is alive. I was so encouraged early this morning. I was up and I was getting ready for today. I got a text on my phone and I looked down. And it was from one of your sisters, my sisters in the Lord, a member of this church, a dear sweet lady. She has crossed an ocean and crossed a culture to take the gospel of Jesus to a very hard place. She's surrounded by unbelievers. She is in a place where Christians often lose their lives for naming Jesus. And she this morning sent me a text. I got it at 5.45 this morning and it simply said three words. He is risen. And man, that blessed my soul this morning. That's just as true here in East Tennessee as it is in the hard places on earth. And this morning, we're going to take a look at the greatest reality in the, it's ever been the reality that Jesus is risen. So I invite you to take your Bibles this morning if you have a copy of God's Word. And I want you to turn in the middle of your Bible to the book of Psalms, Psalm 16. It's where we're going to find ourselves in just a few minutes. As a church, we're walking through a series through the book of Psalms. And Psalm 16 is going to just fit great where we are this morning on Easter and Resurrection morning. Now before we get to the book of Psalms, I want to kind of set the trajectory of where we're going to be this morning. And I want, to, I want to make this statement and then I'm going to give an example of it. But here's the statement. A particular path will always lead you to a particular destination. A particular path that you're on will always lead you to a particular destination. Now what do you mean by that this morning, Pastor Mike? So let's just say this afternoon, I'll give you an illustration, but... Let's just say this afternoon, for some very strange reason, I decide I want to go to Gate City, Virginia. Now, I don't know why I would go to Gate City. Nothing personal against all the Gate Cityans, but I don't know what's in Gate City except the Hobnob restaurant. I know that's there. Anybody ever been to Hobnob? Okay, some Hobnobbers. So if I go up here on Eastern Star Road and I determine, man, I really want to go to Gate City. And with great sincerity of heart, I say, I'm going to get on the path to Gate City. And I go on Interstate 26, and instead of turning west, I turn east on the eastbound lane of the interstate. Let me tell you something. It's not going to take me to Gate City. In fact, if I keep traveling on I-26, I'm going to end up in an even worse place, Irwin, Tennessee. All right? And if I show up in Irwin and I get out of the car and I say, how in the world did I wind up in Irwin? Well, the answer is, I was on the path to Irwin. No matter how sincere I was, I could say, but I really wanted to go to Gate City. Or no matter how right I thought I was, I, thought, I, I knew I was on the right path. Or watch this. No matter how good I felt in my heart about the path that I was on, the reality that I was on a path not taking me where I thought it was taking me. 
Now I say all that this morning to say what we said earlier, that a particular path will always lead us to a particular destination. Jesus takes this principle, and you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount puts it this way, referring to our soul, he said this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road or the path that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Then he said, but small is the gate and narrow is the road or the path that leads to life. And there are only a few who find it. Jesus basically says when it comes to our soul, there are really only two paths. There is a path of life, Jesus says, and there's also a path of destruction. And the big idea I want to chase for just a few minutes here, and then we'll get into Psalm 16, is this. The big truth for us this morning is this. Eternally speaking, eternally speaking, every person is either on the path of life or on the path of destruction. Now, you might be tempted to say at this point, Pastor Mike, did you know it was Easter? (laughs) And you're already starting with this kind of, the kind of stuff this morning. Why, why are we going this direction this morning? Let me tell you what I know here this morning. I know this morning that many of you are here because a friend brought you, and that's fantastic. Many of you are here because this is your church home, and some of you are here. You're not sure how you got here. It's just kind of the cultural thing to do. It's East Tennessee, and you go to church on Easter. That's just what you do. But here's another reality I know. Watch this. There's not a single person in this room today who is here by accident. Every single person in this room today, you are here on purpose. In fact, I want you to do something for me. I want you to look to your neighbor and you say, I hate this stuff. Just do it to entertain me, okay? Look to your neighbor and say, you are here on purpose. Ready, go. Good job. Now listen. It's a reality. And here's the question I want everyone in this room to be wrestling with for the next few minutes as we walk through Psalm 16. Which path am I on? Am I today on the path that will lead to life, as Jesus describes it? Or am I on a path that, as Jesus describes it, will ultimately lead to destruction? Every single person in this room is on one of those two paths. Now, Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is going to help us with this this morning. The the writer of Psalm 16 is King David. And King David, he wrote a lot of the Psalms. And as I said earlier, our church is going through a series in the book of Psalms. It'll be for the next several months. And The Psalms were originally given as the song book of the nation of Israel. And King David is writing here. And I'm going to pick up in verse 8, but he's going to... Help us understand this concept this morning of the path of life. What does that look like? How do you begin this path of life that Jesus refers to? David helps us understand it. And then what is the outcome of this path of life that Jesus describes in Matthew 7? So you can read with me. There's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. The words will be on the screen. I'm going to read a few verses at the end of chapter 16, verse 8. King David writes this. He says, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, 
I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my glory, and the glory there refers to his whole being, body, soul, and spirit. My glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. And then he's going to look, look ahead, verse 10. Even beyond death, he says, For you, Lord, will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You may not be familiar with that term, Sheol. It's simply a generic term in the Hebrew understanding that basically means the place of the dead. David looks beyond death and says, with this path of life, I can look even beyond death. He says, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Verse 11, you, O Lord, will make known to me the path of life. There it is. Path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand, O Lord, there are pleasures forever. So we may not know exactly what this path of life is, but I'll give you some things that David says about it here. He says this path of life, there's strength, there's security in a right relationship with God himself. There is joy, there is gladness of heart. It involves the entire body, body, soul, and spirit, even beyond death. It extends beyond the grave. There's fullness of joy, gladness, and life forever. So I'm reading that, and I'm going to ask, okay, how do you get on this path of life? How do you start on this path of life? I'm going to ask three questions. That's the first one. How do we begin? Look back in verse 1 of Psalm 16. David's going to answer that. Verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 16 is the cry of David. And he says, preserve me, O God. Now the first couple of verses are the, are the cry of a desperate man. The word preserve means literally to protect me, save me, keep me from harm. It's, I'll translate verse 1 and 2. Help! Help! This preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. Now what you have here, the beginning of David's testimony, if you will, of what it looks like to begin this path of life that Jesus describes later. A couple things we notice in these first two verses. The first thing you notice is David has a recognition of his deep need. David is crying out from a place of deep and desperate need. He says, preserve me, save me, I'm taking refuge in you, I have no good besides you. When he says, I have no good besides you, David is giving an honest, forthright awareness of the condition of his own soul. Now let's just be honest as we talk about the path of life and the condition of our own soul this morning. That's a statement that doesn't settle very well with us. In our Western mindset, in our Western culture, trying to build the ego. We don't like the idea of David saying here, you, my Lord, in you, you're the only place I have good. In me, there is no good at all. We have trouble with that. But here's what's important for us this morning is to know left to ourselves, apart from the grace of God, I want to know what God says about the condition of my soul, not what the culture around me says, or even my best thinking. Two chapters earlier in Psalm 14, David said this. 
He said, the Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men, men and women, to see if there are any who understand. Are there any who seek after God? They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. We don't like that. But the Bible's being very clear, left to ourselves, we are born into a condition that our soul is not just sick, our soul is dead because of sin. And before anyone will ever step by faith onto the path of life, there must be a recognition that I'm not on the path of life. <laughs> That I'm on the path of destruction because of my sin and because of my own wickedness inherited from my forefather. David says, apart from you, I have no good. There's no good apart from you. Our voices of our culture say this. You're okay. I'm okay. Everybody's okay. It's all going to work out okay. God says, left to ourselves, it's not okay. And we're all desperately wicked illustration of this a little bit is if I were to, and I'm not a medical doctor, so I hope I'm saying this right, but if I, if I bring out to you and I hold out to you a bottle of quinine, I say, here, I got you this awesome bottle of quinine. Go live it up. And you say, what in the world is that? I don't even know how to say it. What is it? It means nothing to you. But the next morning you wake up and you, you're breaking out in a fever and sweat's starting to come down. Your body's starting to ache and you think, I'm not feeling very well. And you get up and you go to the doctor and the doctor says, listen, I, need, I got some bad news for you. You're in trouble. You're dying. Somehow, someway you've contracted malaria and if you don't do something about that malaria, it's going to kill you. And you say, what are you talking about? That can't be right. No, 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 you're dying. And you say, is there a cure? And the doctor says, well, oh yeah, there's a cure. It's called quinine <laughs> and you say oh and all of a sudden the value of that quinine just becomes eternally significant to your life that's why this running to the refuge as David says only comes from a place of an awareness of his own soul being desperately wicked here's a reality the greatest hindrance to ever knowing the path of life is a refusal that we have to ever turn from self. Now David realizes that here in verse 1 and 2. By the grace of God, his eyes are opened and he says, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. And this is the cry of a desperate man. And this is a cry of faith. And this is a cry of running to a place of safety in his God. And David says, I have no good. I run to you, my refuge, my place of safety. Here's big idea number one. We're just going to have a few. It's this. The path of life, as we've been describing it, begins with a recognition of a deep need. A deep soul need in every person left to ourselves. And a trusting in the Lord as our only refuge. Verse 1 and 2 show us that's how this life begins. Now I want to go on through this passage and I want to ask a couple other questions. I want to say, okay, not only how does this path of life begin. The second question I want to ask is this. Okay, what characterizes this path of life? If I'm on this path of life, what are some things that would be true of me? What would be some evidence? And here's why I'm asking that question this morning. Here's why I think Psalm 16 asked this question. Specifically for us, we live in the Bible Belt. Here we are in East Tennessee. 
I said it earlier, if I were to ask the majority of you in this room, sir, ma'am, are you on the path of life? You would say something like, oh yeah, I believe in God. And you say, okay, well, what evidence of that is there in your life today? And you might hearken back and you might say something, well, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I walked an aisle and I prayed a prayer and I absolutely nothing against that whatsoever. Or I signed a card or you might say something like, well, you know, I've been raised a Christian. My grandma was a Christian and my papa was a Christian. Okay, that's fantastic. But here's the question Psalm 16 is asking. Ready? What evidence is there today in your life that you are on the path of life today? Not what gets you on the path of life. That's faith alone. What evidence is there today that you have truly run into that refuge that is God? And David gives us several here. We're going to look at just a few. The first one we see in verse 3 really quick. He says, he says this, verse 3, As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. What does that mean? Well, the word saint here means God's people. David says it is God's people. It is, what's this? It, it is others who are on the same path that I'm on. I find great delight in God's people. The first evidence and characteristic that you're on the path of life is this. A love for God's people. David is now transformed. He is on the path of life. He has a love and affection for others who are on the same path. In other words, an evidence that you have been transformed, that it's more than just cultural Christianity in East Tennessee, is that there is a consistent pattern. Man, God has done something in your life. You have a love for God's people. Not a perfect love, that's not the idea, but a love for God's people. You may say, listen, I think Christians are weird. Some of them are. I think Christians are strange. You're exactly right. But there is a love in your heart because of what God has done in your life. There will be an evidence that you love God's people. Jesus said this. Jesus said in John 13, he said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I can't tell you how many people I meet from time to time and I ask them about their relationship with the Lord and and they'll say something like, oh yeah, I I know Jesus and they they tell me about some past event and I'll say, well, you know, are you you part of a church? And they'll say, you know what, I just don't have much to do with God's people. They'll say something like this, I hear this, I've just never found a Christian that I really like. (laughs) That's not good enough, you know what. We got some hurt people in here that had tough church experiences. But here's my question to people who say something like that. Two questions. Number one, have you ever met a true born-again Christian? I'm not talking about church people. I'm not talking about religious people. No, no, no. I'm talking about true people who are on the path of life because their lives have been transformed by God Almighty. There's a difference between that person and the person who's just religious, right? And the second question I have is, I say, I I just encourage you, you might want to find it a bit odd that you say you're on the path of life and you have absolutely nothing in common with other people who are on the path of life. It's a bit odd. So David challenges us here, and I hope this is a challenge to some of you to realize by faith, am I on the path of life? What is the evidence? Here's a question. Is there an active, consistent pattern in your life of loving, not perfectly, but loving God's people? Is there evidence 
to that in your life. See that? Now there's a second one, verse 4, really quick. David goes on and he says, The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. What in the world does that mean, Pastor Mike? Well, let's keep reading. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood. Oh, that clears it up. I got it. What does this mean? Nor will I take their names upon my lips. David, a transformed soul, because he's run to God as his refuge, says this. Here's the second characteristic. In my life now, there are new affections, there are new desires, and there are new activities in my life. Verse 4 basically says, David is giving his testimony. He says, I just don't love the things I used to love. He says, the desires that I used to have, they've been changed because of God's work in my life. He's simply saying, my life isn't like what it used to be. I don't chase after the same false gods that I used to chase after. And by the way, a false god or an idol, as it refers to here, is anything you and I look to to be my ultimate identity, my ultimate strength, my ultimate joy, my ultimate pleasure. An idol is anything you and I look to to do what only Jesus Christ can do. It's an idol. And David says, listen, I know now, chasing after those empty, vain pursuits, the verse word in the verse says, it is sorrow, and it will leave us empty. He says, I simply don't chase the things I used to chase. Now watch this, this is not moralism. This is not David saying, okay, I've cleaned myself up and I've kept all the rules and I've done what everybody's told me to do and I'm a good religious little boy. That's not what David is saying. David is saying, there is no good in me. I have run to God as my refuge. He's changed me from the inside out and now my heart doesn't beat the same way it used to beat. My affections are different. My desires are different. My want-tos are different. Is that true of you? true of you are there decreasing patterns of sin in your life sir or ma'am because you love God more than the sin that's what David's saying here so he says there's, there's characteristics one is this love for God's people second are these changing patterns in our life because our affections are different thirdly I'll just give you a third one really quick verse 7 We'll skip a couple of verses there for sake of time. Verse 7, David says this, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. One of the evidences of being on this path of life, he says, indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. Okay, I'm not sure what that means. Verse 8, I have set the Lord continually before me. If you write your Bible, circle that word continually. Very important. Continually before me because he is at my right hand. Listen to this. I will not be shaken. This is the testimony of a transformed life. It's the testimony of a man who's now on the path of life, as we discussed. He says, these are the words of intimacy. These are the words of fellowship. These are the words of communion with God. Not just knowing about a distant God on Sunday morning who I go visit at a church building, but a God that I know intimately and a God that knows me intimately. He says, I've set the Lord continually before me, a pattern of fellowship, a pattern of communion, a pattern, what's this, of day in and day out walking with God by faith. He says, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Here's your third one. A characteristic of being on the path of life is this, steady strength flowing from fellowship with God. What does it take to shake you? 
What does it take to shake you? you? You know where someone stands and you know where someone is rooted. Not because, listen, the, the times of good seasons and the bad seasons come all of our ways. But those who are deeply rooted in something greater than themselves will have difficult times. But as the testimony of David, they will not be shaken because they are deeply rooted in God, their refuge. Is that true of you? Is there a desire in you for regular, consistent communion with God and His Word and prayer? What shakes you? Are you easily shaken? David says here, this path of life, it begins by running to God as our refuge. This second thing, he says, the path of life, it, it's, there's fruit, there's characteristics, there's some things that give evidence to it, a love for God's people. Decreasing patterns of sin in our life because we love things more. This desire of, for communion and fellowship with God. Now, very quickly, as our time's coming to a close, I want to ask a third question. This is very important for us this morning. So we know what begins this path of life, how we get on. So we know some characteristics of it. Uh, third question and final is this. Okay, what's the outcome of this path of life? Where's it going? David talks about that. We see this in verse 9. We begin in verse 9. We read that earlier, but I want you to walk down through these verses again with me. Here's some things of the outcome of this path of life. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad. Is your heart glad? And my glory rejoices. That's the whole being, body, soul, spirit. My flesh also will dwell securely. Now he's thinking future tense. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. The path of life doesn't even fear death. Death is a reality. Death is coming for all. But this person doesn't even fear death. He says, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Verse 11, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. He says, where's this path of life going? What's this. This path of life is a place of strength, security, right relationship with God, joy, gladness of heart. For the entire body will be saved through death. And there will be a place of fullness of joy at the very presence of God in the future. Now it's possible and it's my hope that some of you at this point in the service have become to... Maybe there's some examination of your own life going on and through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Maybe some eyes have been opened and you realize, well, if that's what the path of life means, I'm not on that path. I follow a path of my own. I follow a path of trusting myself. I follow a path of religion, whatever it is. And you may be saying at this point, okay, what is that path? How do I get on that path? What does it mean? You ready for this? I want everybody listening. Here it is. Plot twist. Are you okay, Pastor Mike? Did you just flake out on us? What are you talking about? One of my favorite parts in any movie is when you're watching a movie, right? And you, you think it's going a certain direction. And you, you know who the villain is. And you're convinced they're the bad guy. And then all of a sudden, they're not really the bad guy. And it's, it's really the bad guy's mama that's the bad guy. Something like that. Whatever it is. And it's a plot twist. Ready for this? Here's the plot twist. Hang with me. This path of life that we just described is characterized by turning from self, finding refuge, communion with God, leading to overcoming death, is not a path at all. This path of life is a person, and His name is Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Say, I don't know what you're talking about. Help me. Stay with me. Plot twist. You threw me off. I want to take your head. You don't have to turn there. We're going to go ahead about 600 years from the time this was written. John chapter 14. Jesus is gathered with his disciples in the upper room. And he's telling them what's going to happen. He says, guys, tomorrow I'm going to die. And then I'm going to raise from the dead. And I'm going a path. I'm going away. And you can't go there. Where I'm going, you can't come. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And on and on and on. And the disciples are like, where are you going? Verse 5 of John 14, Thomas speaks up representing the rest of the disciples. And he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the path? What's this. In one of the most important verses in the New Testament, Jesus Christ says to Thomas and to us 2,000 years later, Hey, Thomas, don't worry about finding the path. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way. The word way means path. Jesus is saying, hey, there is no path. I am the path. The path of life. As represented in Psalm 16, as taught by Jesus in Matthew 6, is not a path of religious do-goodism. It's not a path of trying to be good enough. It's not even a path that you go on and walk necessarily. It is the life of a person, Jesus Christ, that by faith you embrace and His life becomes your life. That's the message of Christianity. That's the message of the gospel. The path of life is found in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way we can find refuge from our sin and our wickedness is to run to one who is without sin. His name is Jesus. The only way we can have fellowship with God is to have a sin bearer, one that has taken our sin. His name is Jesus. 1 Peter 2.24 Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The only way we can ever enter into the very presence of a righteous holy God is to be righteous and perfect ourselves. Anybody here righteous and perfect? Not me. But there is one who is righteous and perfect, and his name is Jesus. And the Bible says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Faith in Christ, running to Christ as your refuge means, an exchange. You give him your sin and your brokenness, and he grants you his perfect righteousness and faith, and you are made whole. And it's the path of life. It's the life of Jesus Christ in you. He said, Pastor Mike, I've read this before. How do you know for sure that Psalm 16 is talking about Jesus? I mean, I've read that. I've never seen that before. Where did you get that from? You don't have to turn there, but you can go ahead 600 years from when it was written, 2,000 years back to a place called Pentecost, and the early church is born. In Acts chapter 2, there's an event that took place in Jerusalem, and it's the birth of the church. And a man named Peter, who had been a follower of Jesus, stands up, and he preaches this message to the masses. And his text that he preaches, guess what, is Psalm 16 that we just read. And Peter stands up and he says this, and we'll close with this. Acts 2, beginning of verse 23, says... This man, referring to Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men. You put him to death, speaking to the Jewish audience, verse 24. But God raised him up again, verse 25. For David says of him, 
David says, of who? Jesus. And he quotes Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always in my presence. If he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. We just read that, verse 31. So he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raises up again, to which we are all witnesses. Listen to me. How can I know that there is a future that goes beyond death? How can I know that there is a path for me that goes through the grave and on the other side there is fullness of joy and there is gladness in the presence of God? (laughs) Because there is one who has gone into the grave and died and come out the other side and defeated death, hell, and the grave and his name is Jesus Christ. And this morning for you the path of life is simply this question I said earlier I wanted everyone in the room wrestling with this question here's the question for you this morning do you know the son of God Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and your life first John chapter 5 asks the question this way the testimony is this that God has given us eternal life the path of life and this life is in his son Jesus he who has the son has the life and he who does not have the son does not have the life the question for you this morning is if you run to Jesus your sin bearer for your refuge and turn from self Jesus is the only path of life amen this morning I would like for you to just bow your head for just a moment right there where you're seated our team's going to come to the front they're just going to begin to play softly and I just want to give you a moment right there just you alone I'm not gonna I'm gonna manipulate you or pull on you or tug on you or anything like that but right there kind of a moment of worship a moment just you and the Lord alone maybe these questions are reverberating in your mind do I know the Son this path of life is in Christ. Am I in Christ? Or have I just been playing games all these years? Or maybe for the first time in your life you realize this morning, Jesus is my sin bearer. Jesus died and went to the grave in my place. And now his death can become my death. My sin is gone. His life can become my life by faith. And Very simply, if you're here this morning, And you maybe for the first time in your life realize you are in deep need of a Savior. Simply by faith this morning, you can cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus who is your sin bearer. Cry out to Jesus who can be your righteousness. Cry out to Jesus who loves you deeply this morning. Prayer doesn't save you. Faith in Jesus saves you. But right there in your seat, you can simply express faith through prayer. Cry out to God something like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you. Lord Jesus, I realize this morning I'm hopeless without you. And I turn to you in faith. I realize you took my sin. I realize you rose from the dead. Save me, Jesus. Save me. I give my life to you. And if that's you this morning... Maybe for the first time your eyes were open and you began began life in Christ by faith just now. We want to celebrate with you. We want to help you. If you're here, maybe you have some questions about what all that means. We want to help you. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. But before that, there's a a little card in front of you in the seat back. And it has a place you can put your name, some information. 
There's a little box there you can check that says something to the effect of, I trusted Jesus today. Or I have questions about what it means to trust Jesus. You can just check that little card, drop it in the offering basket as it goes by in a few minutes. And we would love to walk with you through this journey you're on. Also, man, maybe you want to speak with someone today. When we finish singing here in just a few minutes, right through those doors in the back of the room, top of the stairs is an area called the prayer room. We have a team of people there to meet with you. You just take that card to them or go to them and say, I have questions. They'd be happy to meet with you this morning, pray with you, help you understand what it means to follow Jesus. I'm going to pray for you. Our team's going to lead us in a response song before we dismiss in just a moment. Lord, thank you for this time. I thank you for this truth. I thank you for Psalm 16. I thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I thank you that you are life. Whoever has the Son has the life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have the life. And God, I pray for anyone in this room right now who's wrestling. Maybe someone in this room who's come to faith this morning. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in this room right now. We trust you. We love you. Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. I invite you now to stand to your feet as our team leads us. We're going to continue to sing this morning.